Welcome to Podrick the Podcast, the incremental podcast that adds even more value. This is our newest series, We're All Mad Here. The idea behind our series is to chat with some of the people that shape the digital marketing industry. Ad platforms, brand marketers, performance marketers, marketing analysts, and influential figures. The conversations are casual and not rehearsed, talking about how our space evolved, demystifying some concepts and misconceptions that the audience might have. In this interview, we're grateful to have Team Wiggles from FreeNow as our guests. Hope you'll enjoy listening to this podcast. Hey Team, nice to see you again. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Recovering from COVID. You too? Yeah, same here. Same here. <laughs> cool. So we're, we're part of the cool club now. Yeah, yeah, for now. I think we will be the, the boring club because same for everyone too. You know, my, my daughter had it as well. My daughter's 10. And for 10-year-olds, this was like a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah, I had it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was also like this for us, but I think in the last few weeks it changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah, how about um, you want to maybe introduce yourself and give a little bit of background to how you ended up where you are? Cool, sure. Uh, I'm Tim Wiegels. I'm the Vice President Data at FreeNow which uh, some of you might still know as my taxi, one of the biggest ride-hailing, multi-mobility, scooter, e-bikes, whatever provider out there. And uh, what am I doing here? I'm, yeah, vice president data means I'm responsible for the whole data team, which is uh, data scientists, data analysts, data engineers, uh, experimentation, and very important nowadays, data governance. Uh, I think the team is now like 85 people strong, will grow up to almost 100 this year. And uh, yeah, that's what I do here. How did I get into this position? Uh, that's actually a, a longer story. So I studied bioinformatics uh, at some point, which is pretty much data science. So either the buzzword data science is quite new or I'm getting old, you can decide for yourself. Uh, but yeah, same thing, pattern recognition, machine learning, all this kind of things. Realized very quickly that academia is interesting but not really fast and uh, interesting enough for me. So I went out of academia and moved into industry and uh, yeah, started working at a, a big gaming company in Hamburg, which some of you also might know, and pretty quickly went from data scientist to yeah, going more into the project management, program manager direction, whatever you want to call that, and went into a lot of stuff like, uh, I worked very closely with marketing intelligence because it was always interesting to me very easy explanation why my wife is uh, doing a lot of stuff like uh, SEA team lead, head of performance marketing. So there was always something we could connect over uh, with my more nerdy shit and uh, yeah, her side. And uh, yeah, it was just very interesting to me just because there's a lot of technical stuff involved. It's not just building models for the sake of it, but there was really always a very easy use case behind that. And it also gave me something I missed in academia. I always like to see results very quickly. And with marketing and real-time stuff in marketing, it's quite easy. TV tracking, app store feature uh, modeling, all these kind of things. And in the end, I actually led a team that yeah took care of stuff like the apps flyer tracking at uh, this big gaming company. Also worked in social media, also uh, worked in an incubator where we actually know each other from partially because we worked in the same incubator. And there also did a lot of stuff like kickstarting companies also took over the title of director for marketing and data at some point, because I also led the performance marketing teams then, which were quite small, I think it was three people, 
and it was all very data driven. And uh, yeah, now I'm leading the whole data team, but I still have a big interest in marketing intelligence because still something that, yeah, as I said before, a lot of my friends work in that direction and it's uh, just very interesting whether you do multi-touch attribution, whether we talk about the whole iOS 14 gate we just encountered, that's all things that are very fast paced. There's a lot of stuff behind that and it's yeah, technically also very interesting. It's funny what you say, by the way. So coming from Israel, by the way, like advertising technology, marketing technology, obviously it's a fairly large field, but there's a lot of developers, data science, data engineers that just the second they hear the word ad or marketing, they just don't want to touch it. And then I if I look at if I look at my co-founder, you know, as a CTO, obviously like as an as an engineer, you can work in a lot of industries. And I think he chose this industry because he loves the scale. Yeah. He loves the speed. Like nothing has this, nothing has this. And, and and to be totally honest, it's also sometimes something where I clash with my team because data people often like to have more long-term projects, projects where you can really evolve something, try out new methodologies. I, I don't want to say I hate that, but that's not really my thing. I really want to see something very, very fast. And I also had these discussions, oh, do we really have to go more into multi-touch attribution? Isn't that just mean to the customer? No, it's actually quite good for the company to understand what we're doing. And in the end, do you want to get any kind of marketing or do you want to get marketing that's interesting to you? So. And again, coming from the academia to, let's say, the real world, <laughs> uh, I think to many people, it's a, it's a shock of how messy this, like the, the data in our world is. Yeah. I, I love it that. I love it that there's like, you know, now some companies are um, pulling out a new product that's called the clean room. And I'm like, there's nothing dirtier than a clean room. Oh, no, it's not. I mean, it's also even in academia, the data is the data is messy, but it's less. It's always very condensed and yeah. it's very interesting. So honestly, nowadays I have a PhD. The people I grill most in interviews are people coming from academia because 90% of them just also don't fit in industry because it's it's not their thing. Mm. Yeah. So I, I like I have a generic question for the series that uh, I think I know the answer you're going to answer, but let's hear it. Do you think is like is marketing an art or science? I, I, I thought about this before. Both. It's <laughs> totally both. I mean, if you come from my background, it is science because there's a lot of numbers involved. You have to understand these numbers. But if I look at the whole branding area, it's it's art. It's totally art. You really have to to find sure we can support you with our segmentations we can support you with the information we know about a certain country but in the end you still have to be very creative to find the right people and then we are in the background to tell you whether you caught the right people or not <laughs> nice and um, how does your day-to-day -day look like so again you have a lot of people 85 people it's like it's a it. lot of people it's, it's, it's very different. So obviously there's a, there's a lot of people management involved. There's a lot of strategic work, but given the fact that I'm in mobility, mobility is very, very fast paced. And as you know, for example, this iOS 14 stuff, they're just things coming in from left and right. So I try to balance my day a bit between long-term things and people management and evolving people, but also obviously still being available for all the new stuff that's coming in. And that's, that's I mean, I've been in this company for three and a half, no, four-ish years now. Wow. And uh, I think the company changed three times. So we started out as my taxi when I joined, only ride-hailing, only taxis. Then we started ride, which most of you know to something which is very similar to what Uber does, so private hire vehicles. 
now we also did a rebrand in between. Let's not talk about this from the marketing side. And also now we are a multi-mobility provider, right? So it's not just uh, we say we are a ride-hailing platform. We're actually a platform for all possible mobility types you have in there. And it changes every day. So it's funny because I just came out of a strategy discussion with my team where we try to plan out the next three years. And uh, someone asked a question, which was quite funny. What do we do if something changes? And I was like, you've been in this company for four years. We are doing this. So we have some kind of idea long-term, like continuous data deployment, continuous data provisioning. That's all stuff we need to do anyways. And we need to have a rough idea, but it's it's really hard to plan the next three years properly. So you know, so it's something I've always, like, obviously, you know, you have, you have people, especially if you have juniors or new people in the team who tell you, like, I'm looking for stability. And I always tell them, look, the only constant you can rely on is change. Yeah, honestly, it's also something I tell people when, when I do the final interview, which I usually do, I always tell them when I realize they might come from a very stable background. Spoiler, this is totally different. Be prepared for that. And it might be frustrating at times. It might also be very frustrating because everyone in this company is very fast paced, which for certain people in the data team is a little bit alienating, I think is the right word. And that's also something. So there's honestly, there's also a lot of stakeholder in between mediating, mentoring people, trying to be in there. I also don't see myself just as the vice president, I'm also the interface to the business quite a lot, right? Because I hope I understand quite well about the business needs. And I have to shape my team and bring the right people there to yeah, fulfill that. Yeah, let's take a little bit more of a, like a, I would say not operational, but somewhere within operational, tactical and strategic, the death of the IDs. So you mentioned <laughs> iOS 14, and it's also coming with cookies, and eventually yeah. it'll come with probably with Android as well. Is it a, was it a curse or was it a blessing? At first, the good thing is we don't care about the cookie because Freenow is completely mobile-based. So yes, we have a website, but it's not important for the business. iOS 14 or the loss of the mobile ad ID, at first, it really sounded like a curse. But I think what we realized is it gives us also a lot of opportunities. At first, obviously, this always sounds really bad. Oh, we are losing all the information. Oh, we are losing our cutting edge. It's not just us, it's everyone. So for example, if we look at our, our competitors, they're in the same boat, it's no difference. And uh, if, you, if you look at the way we're advertising, where we're advertising, if you look at stuff like uh, marketing mix modeling and so on, for, for all of this is actually a blessing because it's much easier if you go one level up to take in more additional information to make better assumptions out of your yeah, data. And, and also, some people might hate me for that, but uh, marketeers, it's all real time, right? Some marketeers look into too much detail too often. So my favorite example is when we did uh, TV tracking, which was obviously based on heuristics and data science models. People looked at this every day and we always told them, yes, we can make assumptions every day, but if you look on the week level, this is much better. And I think that's the same. So I think from the from the way you can plan and the way you interact with this data and these insights, I think it's a blessing because it makes things a lot easier. It makes it a lot easier to understand, oh, there has been a change. Instead of looking at every user, every minute of the data, I, I would say this is, yeah, something you shouldn't do anyways. By the way, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's in a way like, you know, we are not the youngest. 
like people who are not the youngest were better suited because think about it if you're if you're let's say a performance marketer with four or five years experience last touch deterministic in parentheses attribution was everything you knew and suddenly when this was taken away you have no idea how to work and, and honestly for us it was the same before right so i still remember when i joined free now that there was no user level attribution there was like information this is the campaign this is the money we spent this month we have an incremental return on invest yeah which made me very very sick but uh, somewhere in between is also not bad and yeah so yeah that's true we are we are all so, we are used to that that you sometimes can just look at campaign level and not deeper and that's fine yeah and by the way, I'm actually amazed now today with the incremental, how many customers reach out to us and they are big spenders who never relied on attribution as measurement. Leads me to the next uh, next very much related question. Um, like, how would you differentiate attribution from measurement? If you have an analogy, feel free to go for that. And yeah, I know it's a philosophical uh, question and don't worry, no one's going to no one's going to send this uh, answer directly to uh, your MMP. <laughs> That's good because I mean, uh, uh, I'm the data guy, right? So I have my two definitions and that's also the way I always understood it. I hope it's correct because otherwise I always told people completely crap. Uh, for me, measurement is really just getting the numbers. So measurement is like 5,000 people came in on campaign Y via iOS. We had a reach of uh, 2 million for this brand campaign and all of these kind of things, right? So measurement is really the number. And if you look at measurement in the, in the mobile measurement way, that's what AppsFlyer or Kochava or whoever adjusts do nowadays. They tell you how many people came in via your campaigns. The attribution for me is then actually taking these numbers and make sense out of this. So attribution could, for example, be last click. If you're very lazy, you just look at the last click, which honestly for us mobile people usually is enough because there's not so many contacts for most of us. And uh, then you could go into yeah the bathtub, the whatever, the weighted, or the uh, dynamic attribution or multi-touch attribution, where you can actually see I have five touch points, and this is a branding campaign. So I think the the first touch point, which is actually just a view of our website, should have a higher weight than the install in the end. So that's how I would explain it. So measurement, get the numbers. Attribution, make sense of the numbers. Yeah, I think that makes sense a lot. And basically, it's like. A... Sometimes it's been really hard for, for me to, to explain to third parties, like, what do we do different from the attribution? And are we competitors with the MMPs? And I say, no, we're not competitors. It's like, but there is a difference between attribution of traffic, a click, a view to an install, to attribution of value. You spent this, you got this. That's, it's two different things. We don't challenge what the attribution says, because honestly, to, to connect between a click and an install, it's like, it is what it is. It's like, yeah. it doesn't, like, we cannot undermine that because what is there to undermine? A click yeah. happened on Facebook and install happened. Well, it's cold kind of data. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, for some reason, sometimes people really, really will argue with uh, with me on definitions, but. Yeah, but, but hey. I, also, I also have the argument in the company, right? So. If you do the attribution and people tell you, no, you shouldn't actually attribute it there because this is not what we want to see. So there's also a lot of, a lot of story bias involved when you do attribution and people don't like the result. Let's go for, uh, for uh, like a different question. It's more of a marketing question, but it uh, would be okay. really interesting to hear you. So you are indeed in one of the most competitive industries right now. And like for the consumer, there's a lot of competition. How do you... How do you differentiate slash measure 
brand trust? Ah, that's actually one of our big problems right now and the things where we're working heavily on. Honestly, we don't do it right now. Honestly, right now, there, there is no way to actually measure brand trust. I mean, I tried. I tried. I got all the information. I tried to actually see what kind of brand campaigns do we do per country. And the problem is we have so little data points. So we do a podcast in Germany. Then we do a, a out-of-home campaign in Germany. And you have maybe two or three data points per month. And that's it. And uh, I mean, my model was great. My model actually told you that if you do a branding campaign, your brand awareness will increase. If you do a month without brand campaigns, your brand awareness will decrease. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's not really, it doesn't really tell you where uh, the podcast comes into play. We're right now looking actually for external help on this. I need more external data to really understand which countries, which age groups, how do our target groups work together? We need more help with that. And by this, you can actually also then go into the branding trust. So I could also say, is there anything where the brand campaign really improved my, my customers that are already there? So is it high on retention? But uh, that's something we actually are just starting right now, properly. Yeah, and you guys went from multiple brands to a single brand. Yeah, that, that's that's the other problem. So, yeah. and we not only multiple brands. I mean, we rebranded, so we went from my taxi to free now, which uh, <laughs> was confusing. Was horrible, by the way, horrible. it's confusing. <laughs> it's also confusing. If I would get ten euros for every time someone asked me, "Oh, is it free now?" I wouldn't work anymore. I think, uh, but yeah, it's really. We went from there to there, and then we also put everything under the free now brand in all the markets. So that was also something we did a lot in the last two years. And now is really the time where we can now push this through because it doesn't make sense to do really a lot of branding campaigns and invest money into this during COVID. And now we are, we are like, we all understand it's over. So we are now going into this full force. And at the same time, also trying to build up our information, how the brand campaigns really work and try to measure this as good as possible, attribute it to the right, whatever, and uh, yeah, make more sense out of it. Yeah, and you know, the last two years probably was also a playground for a data scientist because, well, the pandemic, how? how? Um, so obviously, first question is, did you factor in the pandemic and uh, somehow like cases, vaccinations within your predicting model? Yes, we did. So th that's also a nice story. Uh, we did because there's there's a lot of data that's quite easy to get. There's a stringency and risk index that actually the Oxford University does, which is perfect. So I looked for this a long time and uh, we told the company, so we can do this for you now. We can actually tell you how 2020 would have looked like. So we can have proper year over year numbers and we can do the same for 2021. And everything was like, yeah, that's interesting. Can we just compare to 2019 because that's real data and we trust this? And I mean, we know it was shit. So yeah, you can do that. It might be interesting. It would have been possible, but no one really asked for that. So uh, we came forward, told everyone, we found something. Do you want this? Shall we actually start predicting uh, the tours and the revenue again? And they were like, nah, nah, just let's just wait until it's done because it's changing too much. And honestly, they're also right because even though I could have the historical data, you never know how good this index is for the next few weeks. So yeah. it's, it's, it's always, it's, it's crystal ball. You know, it's funny, but obviously as a SaaS company that does a data science company, obviously like sometimes the question a customer will have for us is, is about the trusting the model because it's a yeah. prediction. But luckily for us, we're doing retrospective prediction. It is interesting to know that being the data science unit of a very large company, you, you, you have the same challenge to your management peers. 
It's like, uh, team, we don't trust you, basically. <laughs> Guys, the data, the data shows it. Honestly, story of my life, that's always the case, right? If, if, if the data is not 100% proven, and I think it's also important, if you build data science models that are very complicated, you can't explain in layman's yeah, yeah, terms, yeah. then there's always this, nah, is this really correct? And it doesn't show me what I want, so maybe I just do something else. By the way, have you seen this uh, Netflix movie, Don't Look Up? Mm -hmm. Sure, <laughs> love this. <laughs> Okay. Wait, wait. So what did they tell him? At a certainty of 99.7%. Ah, so it's no one happened. So we're just going to say 70%. It's not or, even remote. Or, or what I also really like, that's also something I encountered. Oh, we will ask our scientists as well. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, confirmed. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Validated the uh, approach. Um, yeah, let's say... Um, so, Actually, I had another question in regards to kind of like the, um, the interestingly enough, by the way, like we, we work with another mobility company, kind of like, let's say within your space and what they did. So often the marketing would get a lot of credit just because they dropped 50,000 scooters in a city. Yeah. Um, and what we did with them is we baked in a number of scooters available as a factor. So it, it's amazing, like, again, when you think about it, if you can identify the correlation between certain factors, you can use it within the model. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, another question I had was like, pretty obvious. How do you treat seasonality? Uh, right now, not that much, <laughs> because it's like, uh, yeah, we don't know whether it's seasonality or COVID. Uh, mm. But usually, it, it really depends. So, I mean, perfect seasonality, we don't, uh, we, we do is uh, our Christmas business because if there wouldn't be COVID, so ignore any kind of pandemic, but Christmas is always perfect for ride hailing, right? You don't have to think about it. It's always like people will use taxis. People will use taxis for their Christmas parties. People will use uh, private hire vehicles. People might use car sharing, everything. There's just, people have their free time. They want to go somewhere. So it's very obvious that this works. So we do less marketing in December because it's just wasted money in the end. And that's also something we also try to do with data a lot. How is, does the seasonality look like? Should we invest something now? Or is it like, uh, yeah, finally, when the pandemic started, when we started the eat or die approach, our return on invest obviously skyrocketed. Sure, the number of tours decreased a bit, uh, but uh, what got out of it was quite good. And yes, yeah, seasonality, I mean, in all our data science models, uh, we have uh, school holidays because that's something we realize in Germany is obviously very important. Uh, we publish this. I mean, our biggest target groups are the young uh, ecological hipsters, the young urbanites in the cities, and the ambitious thrivers, which are all the people that actually are yeah, B2B customers. And obviously, if you have a large amount of B2B customers and airport tours, that's something that just drops over Christmas, over uh, summer holidays in any country. So that's something we always foster in. Obviously, also then do another way of incentivizing, another way of marketing our stuff in these areas. And uh, yeah, it's. I mean, now you always have all these micro seasonalities, right? Because you come out of a you come out of a lockdown, you go into a lockdown, so you can also see that a lot. But uh, obviously, you guys have multiple products as well. So different products, different seasonality, yeah. like ride hailing versus scooters. That, that, that's, that's totally interesting right now. And that's something where I, I'm really trying hard together with also our CMO and CEO to really push the 
this this whole cohort analytics thinking into the company because a uh, perfect example we really pushed on micro on multimobility this year which is scooters let's say scooters and car sharing really. that's the best example and obviously if you look into the summer month you can see the business is increasing a lot which is led by scooters massively if yeah. you look now into the winter months yeah the business isn't increasing that is actually might actually be less than the week before but you can look into the car sharing amount and the car sharing users are skyrocketing as well and that's Makes really sense. something where you have to very definitive check the cohorts and see oh how are the scooter cohorts behaving and also how are the car sharing cohorts behaving because these people might actually have been required in months where it looked really bad for car sharing but now they're all coming back because they know it exists they know the, the service is there and are actually using the service in the yeah darker months mm -hmm. no it's amazing because you guys have like enormous amounts of data points given the fact that you're like fairly large so you you know you can even take microclimates um yeah, yeah in, into effect and, and that, that, yeah, that's, also, that's also something we're doing right now so one thing we started uh, i think last year at some point was to get weather data into the system in real time and actually use this to tell people what kind of service type to use so i mean if you are in hamburg where i'm sitting and you look outside you know whether it's raining or not but that might be quite different in Munich, right? There might be a storm front coming over and we will tell people, oh, it might start raining in a, in a few minutes. Don't use a scooter because you will get wet and it's also very mm, insecure. Cool, so you're using it for the product and not just for the marketing. Exactly, yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then again, do you, def do you use any of these models for real-time marketing? Uh, yes, the weather model is starting. So for the weather model, we are now starting to send, uh, we use it for driver marketing and tell drivers oh the weather is getting worse Go search so nice it's, yeah it's all, yeah yeah search as well it's all connected directly into brace and until now we just used it uh, for the for the riders but now we also use it for the drivers for the drivers nice, it's cool. marketing when they should start using our okay. platforms. yeah so increase supply when you expect increased demand yeah yeah nice cool very cool um well, as incremental, I have to ask you a question about incrementality. Uh, how do you define incrementality in marketing is, and is it the holy grail in terms of marketing results? Uh, it really, really depends. I think for us, incrementality was very hard to define when we still had all the uh, user level data. Uh, now we define it pretty much as, let's just take the dumbest approach. We started this awesome TV campaign, and then uh, we obviously built an uplift model. And uh, the incrementality is the stuff we get in addition to what we would have expected to be there without this TV flight. Oh, and I, I wouldn't say it's the holy grail, but for me, looking from this, I always like to call it from, from this more bird's eye view, is the best thing you can do for these massive campaigns or these campaigns that are non-trackable. For non-trackable stuff, this is the only way to go. And this is like of whether you do TV, we do a lot of out of home uh, digital. And if you have seen our cars, a lot of these cars have free now on the side, which is obviously also yeah. a big amount. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it makes, uh, it makes perfect sense. And indeed, by the way, I think that the, the, the devices themselves, basically the cars, the scooters, they are marketing instruments. They are out of home. Yeah. It, it's, actually, it's actually quite, we are just trying to do that. And also when we look at all the marketing mix modeling we want to do in the future, we, we thought about how we can check this on-car advertisement but it's actually quite tricky because usually they're always there so it's like this always on thing same thing i encountered when i worked in the video gaming company because i think we were the biggest tv uh, advertiser for one or two years and 
everyone heard about Good Game Empire. Uh, and for that was actually also quite hard because to really do this, that's also something incrementality-wise, you also need to have areas where you don't have this kind of advertisement on. And that I think is something that will be quite tricky for our on-car advertisement or yeah, stuff on the scooters. Um, you know, there is a city in Germany that's rumored to exist, Bielefeld. Yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> I've never seen it. By the way, non-German listeners, we have will have no idea what we're talking about because this ah, is a I very German there's, joke. There's a lot of stuff on Reddit about this, even for people that don't. <laughs> <speak German. laughs> um, we also made a list for the series with like terms flying around the industry, and I wanted to get your perspective of if you think something is an actual trend people should be thinking about, or it if it's uh, industry mumbo jumbo bullshit. Google ID deprecation. Uh, I heard about it. Honestly, I've never went into that too much. And uh, what I heard from uh, my friends, uh, ah, unless you speak about the Android ID. Yes. Ah, okay. Sorry. Talk about click IDs. Now, Google ID deprecation will happen. Honestly, if iOS stops sending out the mobile app ID, why shouldn't Google do that? And maybe that's where I put my tinfoil hat on now a little bit. It all sounds like awesome data protection and security and being very nice to the customer. If you look at Apple, well, in Apple search ads, you still get user level information. And Google already started their walled gardens uh, in the web area. So I'm quite sure this will happen because that just means people will use Google advertising much more for mobile yeah. as well. It, ser it, it serves, serves their interest. Yeah. NFT. <laughs> I started buying, uh, well, at first I have to say, I don't understand it perfectly. And uh, I'm also not totally sure why I should buy pictures of monkeys, which are like uh, 0.2 Ethereum, which today is actually almost cheap. But uh, I started, so I, start, I just jumped on the train. I still would say I don't totally understand it, but I extended it to my real time uh, or real world uh, obsessions, which is comic books. So I started to buy my first comic NFTs and my wife would say much too expensive, but I'm quite sure since this is one of the first ones that are minted, this will be worth a lot of money if the metaverse really comes and everything is like this, but yeah. Which is the next term, the metaverse. Ah, the metaverse. Uh, being a long-term, a long-time avid science fiction fan, uh, for me, this is something that has to happen. Uh, I also bought the... Uh, PlayStation VR glasses very soon. I mean, uh, I'm always waiting for the holodeck on Star Trek. It, it will happen, but honestly, from my point of view, it needs to become a little bit better in terms of graphics. So I'm, I'm not sure I want to be sitting with my VR glasses uh, on the couch the whole day, looking at graphics from like, uh, yeah, what's now on my Switch or was on the computer 10 years ago. So it will work. I mean, now with the pandemic and everything, uh, there's a lot more yeah, applicability of this. I think Metaverse will be quite interesting for people from remote locations to meet for conferences and for business meetings. But I think it's pretty much the same, or at least from, I mean, I'm almost 40, old guy, maybe different kind of view. But for me, it's similar to like, we did so many Zoom meetings in the, in the, in the pandemic. I'm really getting fed up when friends ask me, hey, do you want to hang out on Zoom and have a beer? No. Rather, <laughs> do a, rather do a walk in the cold. Now I sound like my grandfather. But uh, I think it, it will come. That's also why I'm starting to buy NFTs because yeah, at some point there will be something. But for me, really, the graphics need to become better. 
to really enjoy this. Otherwise, I mean, it's like sitting in a chat room. And by the way, my favorites has always been like a, a minority report. So I don't necessarily see them like metaverse in gaming again, second life. Second life has yeah, been around. Yeah, it was there. For like, it was there. Yeah. But uh, uh, the metaverse for a work mode, um, minority report style, like being able yeah. to immerse myself, like this is fine. You know, we're on, we're on Zoom together right now. I have my microphone, yeah. camera, uh, multiple screens, it's fine. But like to make it a bit more tangible would be super yeah. awesome yeah okay, to be yeah. able to I mean, shake to shake hands if if it's something like ready player one you've seen that yeah 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 ready yeah. player one no, if that's, i can go to the yeah. metaverse and drive my own delorean yes 100 yeah. no that's that's like that's like another level because again there you have like the suit that makes you like yeah. really really immersive this is indeed i've once by the way tried um, vr in um, a theme park in korea where they had a lot of accessories and plus when you were walking on this ledge someone literally grabbed your leg and i remember screaming yeah, that yeah. was immersive there's also one in berlin i always wanted to try out they also have a very good uh, vr i think in one of the escape rooms so that's also getting bigger i went to the computer uh, computer game museum yesterday in berlin that's like retro and to be fair again sitting on a couch and playing nintendo uh, um, super mario one was yeah. still pretty awesome as well it's still fun, but maybe that means we're old. I, I'm still playing Zelda most of the time because I just love that. Graphics yeah. might not be awesome, but still one of the best games. Uh, I think you answered on this term, but media mix modeling, trend or BS? Uh, uh, not, not. Uh, I don't want to say it's. A, I don't want, wouldn't say it's a trend. I think it becomes much more important with the loss of the mobile data ID, and uh, for anyone who's doing, I mean, for e-commerce, for people that just use Google Ads not important but for anyone from our scope like doing branding doing out of home and everything it's really really important because without this you just lose half of your marketing budget and you cannot account for that so i think that's really we need to get into that and we need to understand this better and we need to build models to really yeah understand how our branding works you know i'm, I'm obviously tracking certain keywords on google because it's uh, relevant for incremental and the keywords incrementality and the keyword media mix modeling grew 10,000% in the last 12 months. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But again, it is partially a buzz because I, like I just yesterday answered someone, someone was trying to build their own media mix modeling and asked for help. So I was like volunteering to help. And then he was trying to incorporate CTR. And I'm like, wait, do you mean CTR is in click through rate? And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, why is this relevant? It's not, it's not. It's a, yeah. yeah, so again, it's like, it shows it's a little bit of a buzz because people don't get it. Yes, yeah. but they're like, we need this. Yeah, and then there's also people like us who tell them it is important for certain use cases, and then everyone wants to try it out. I think that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim, what's a random fact about you? A random fact? Uh, I sing in a choir. I think that's a, a nice random fact. I sing in a choir with uh, 70 dudes in Hamburg, and uh, our claim is, the Hamburger Goldkirchen, 70 people, no one can sing, you will love it. And we mainly do a <laughs> massive karaoke song. So if any one of you comes to the Online Marketing Rockstars Festival, uh, wave to the stage because we will be on the stage there. And that's, nice. Uh, yeah, that's a nice nice. one. I really, really love doing that. That's super cool. How long have you been doing it? Uh, for almost well, six and a half years now. Obviously wow. with uh, the last two years, a little bit less. 
But that's also where I caught my Omicron. So mm. if you sing at each other, that happens. But uh, yeah. we hope yeah. to start again very, very soon. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, team, last question. If people want to find you, like follow you um, digitally, okay? Yeah. How can they do that? I think best best way to do that is LinkedIn. Uh, Tim Wiegel's uh, unique name. I just exist once, so that makes it very <laughs> easy. And in case you don't find me, I'm the ginger guy. So I think that's also very easy. <laughs> okay. to find. And uh, we're going to drop your IDFA in the uh, description of this podcast. Sure, so, people can, sure. so people can actually find you as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> cool. So thank you so much for your time. Thank uh, you. That was, that was awesome. I really enjoyed it.